Stop telling you how awesome you are, but I want to thank uh, the basketball team, and I want to thank all students, not only on behalf of my family, but other families who have young children around campus. You are just wonderful role models, and um, I thank you for the investment in their lives and as they watch you. And last night, walked onto the floor and uh, left Edie in charge of the kids for about five or ten minutes. Maybe it was ten minutes while I was out there. I come back, and uh, Logan's gone. And I say, Edie, where's Logan? And she's like, oh, he's around there somewhere. I'm like, well, that's good parenting, Edie. Real good. Good job. Um, things are getting a little testy, and you don't know where our son is. Um, uh, he was under the bleachers crying. Uh, so, yeah, he loves the team and loves you. And, and I think I can speak on behalf of all families that raise our kids around you. Uh, we thank you and love you. Now, that's enough of giving you how awesome you are. Um, you know that already. But uh, it's fitting that today our chapel speaker is an alum. And I've been looking forward to Andrea coming to share some of her journey, uh, some of her story with us today. Uh, Reverend Andrea Sautel graduated from ENC in 2001 with a degree in social work and then went on to get her Master's of Divinity from Nazarene Theological Seminary in 2005. She has been serving as the Associate Pastor to Youth and Their Families at the Hagerstown Church of the Nazarene for the last eight and a half years. She is married to her best friend, Nathan, whom she met here her freshman year here at ENC. They, yeah, uh, there you go. Um, they have been married for almost 12 years and have a Yorkie Chihuahua named Al. They are currently in the middle of, do- middle of adopting children from Ethiopia and have been on the wait list for over 23 months. They love skiing, coffee shops, visiting Central America, and bar- bargain shopping. <laughs> Will you please welcome Reverend Andrea Sautel. Doc D is sitting next to me saying, you didn't say volleyball. I played volleyball at Eastern Nazarene College, too, so yay for volleyball. Um, Well, I'm so excited. I feel really privileged to be here, and um, man, I feel like that team up here could have just led, and that was just good enough right there, so thank you for that. Uh, It's been almost 12 years since I was sitting in those very same seats. I know I have a young-looking face, uh, but I've been out for a while, Um, and in those 12 years... uh, A lot of things have happened. If I would have dreamed what my life would have looked like five or even ten years outside of college, I went to ENC, it would have looked nothing like what it does right now. Um, There are certain things that we expect to happen in life and things that we would include if we were going to write our life story. Most of us expected to graduate high school. Some of us almost didn't, but hey, you guys are in college, so you graduated something. Um, Most of us expected to attend college, and here you are again at Eastern Nazarene College. Most of us expect to get a job um, in the field that we're studying because we're spending a lot of money at college, uh, whether that's a dream job or at this point just any job. Most of us expect to find a spouse somewhere down the line. I was fortunate enough to find it the week of preseason for volleyball um, at ENC. Those are our plans, and I would venture to say that most of us expect somewhere down the line to start a family. They're they're the chapters of our life that we would write for ourselves. There's just one problem. Our life story isn't always written the way that we think it should be. Life unexpected happens. We either get to college and we struggle more than what we had expected, barely surviving our classes, We get out of college and we struggle to find the dream job or really any job. Some of us might not get married until we're 40. Some of us will live through various broken relationships or we'll get a medical diagnosis that leaves us questioning. Just this past week, a good friend of mine that I went to college with lost his spouse. Uh, He's 33. 
Um, His spouse is 41 to brain cancer. So life unexpected happens. Chapters are written in our life story that we never would have imagined would have been written. And for me, it's been the struggle of a dream not yet fulfilled in starting a family. It's funny because when you expect for the chapters of your life story to be written a certain way and then they aren't, you in some regards feel lost. As a child, I was never really one to dream about being a mom. I don't really know why, but even being newly married, it wasn't really on my radar. I was out in Kansas City going to seminary. Many of my friends were having kids, and I was just really thankful I had this awesome guy that I could share life with. I was content with life. I was happy with life. And then something along the way happened. I don't know if you just were married for a long time or what, but I was ready and I wanted to be a mom. And so my husband and I started talking about starting a family. We were ready for that next chapter of our life and naturally we expected that we would get pregnant. Well, I can tell you that almost eight years later, our life story has been written quite differently. After months turned into a year of trying to start a family, my husband and I sought out medical help. Um, After making no progress with our doctor, we were sent to one of the best fertility clinics in the nation. Uh, For several years, we would go into that place and go through testing and months of heartache and many disappointing days and failed procedures and wind up with a diagnosis that we were in what they call an unexplained category. In other words, nothing is wrong with us. We just can't seem to have a child. So the chapters of our life were written differently than I would have expected sitting in the same seats that you are sitting in this morning at ENC. I can't even begin to explain to you the heartache and the pain and the anger that quickly became my life and my everyday normal living. Infertility began to define me at my core. Everywhere I went, I saw women that were pregnant. I have like eyes like a magnet for it. It was as though it was magnified everywhere. I even remember being at a a retreat, and I was sitting at a table with my husband with four to five couples, all whom were pregnant. The waitress comes to our table. She's also pregnant. Magnification. Simple things like eating out, going to the mall, going to the grocery store became things that I dreaded. I didn't want to be in those places. And I seemed to watch as it was like the world was being blessed with the one thing that I wanted for my own life. The pain and the the heartache intensified during that season. I watched both of my sisters become pregnant. I watched my two best friends become pregnant, and I even watched a 16-year-old in my very own youth group become pregnant. I found myself confused. I was angry at God. I was overwhelmed by the pain that just seemed to be suffocating me. And to make things worse, I don't know if you've ever been going through something that, like, no one else understands, but everybody wants to give you advice. You guys been there before? People were giving advice on everything. Some things I can't tell you this morning. They told us to slow our life down. They told us to enjoy our life. They told us God has this perfect plan. This is not the right timing. And although we appreciated it, it didn't really seem to help with the pain that we were feeling and the brokenness inside. Prayer became a staple for my life. We called on everyone to pray. When you're a youth pastor at a church, and my father's also a pastor at a church, The prayer pool is huge. Everyone begins praying. Our last attempt at one of our procedures happened to happen around Christmas time, and so naturally we started praying for this Christmas miracle to happen. We had everyone praying. Teens in our youth group, their friends, their parents, everybody was praying. And we believed in our heart of hearts 
that we were praying in a manner that like God was going to come through. He was going to answer our prayer. He was going to do what we expected. Even our doctors during that procedure said everything lined up perfectly. This was it. We started planning in our heads how we would tell our families at Christmas time that we were pregnant and coming up with these ideas. And then we got the phone call that our third and our final attempt had failed. Have you ever had a time where you've really believed with all your heart something is going to take place in your life, and then it doesn't, and you wind up feeling disappointed? If I could describe to you how my husband Nate and I felt, it was just deep and total disappointment. Planning, procedures, doctor's visits, they were all now part of this closed chapter in our life, and we were left feeling completely shattered, broken, and confused. We were grieving what, with what was to us a lost dream. Adversity is kind of a funny thing. We know that we're going to be faced with adversity. In fact, Jesus tells us we're going to be faced with adversity. Yet when it comes, it takes us by storm and it takes us by surprise. We feel challenged. We feel distressed. We wallow in our grief and often we just tend to fall apart. We, in a sense, feel hopeless And when we're faced with that hopelessness or we're faced with brokenness that we're experiencing in our life, our first response, if you're an average normal person, is to blame God. It's to question God. It's to shake our fist at God and say, hey, are you there? Are you listening? Are you paying attention to me? And asking him why. That's where Nate and I were in that place. And we were living in that world on a day-to-day basis. We didn't understand God. We didn't get him. We didn't like his plans. I had surrendered everything to God on this very campus at Eastern Nazarene College. I remember my freshman year, came into ENC, started as an athletic training major, which I knew I was called the youth ministry. Those two things are not the same. Um, After about a year, I was working in the mailroom, and I had this God moment. And it was like God was just saying, Andrea, give me everything. Surrender it to me. I've called you to do something with your life. And in those moments, I had this act of surrender. And from that point on, pursued social work and went to seminary. Uh, And Nate and I, when we got married, we said, yeah, we're going to follow God to Kansas City. We're going to live our life for God 24-7, ministering to teens. And that's what we've done for the last nine years of our life. Yet he couldn't seem to come through for us on the one thing that we were asking him for. We didn't understand that. I remember writing in my journal after sitting through a Sunday morning worship service in which I had to get up and do something up front. I remember that that next day writing this in my journal. These are words straight out of my journal. It was right after another failed procedure at the fertility clinic. I'm at a loss for words. I really thought this was it. It just seemed like everything was in our favor. Life doesn't make sense, and this is one of those times. Yesterday at church, we were singing the song, You Have Been So Good to Me, and I just wanted to bawl my eyes out. Nate took my hand in his, and he knew it was a difficult time to sing those words. It's not that you haven't been good to me. It's that I don't really understand your plan in this area. I guess that's all I have to say for right now. My heart hurts, and I'm tired of crying. That was my life. That was my life for year after year, trying to hold it together as a youth pastor, leading teens, telling them to trust their life to God, all while trying to keep my own brokenness and shattered pieces together. It's often in the deepest times of pain and brokenness that we find ourselves face-to-face with God, and that was where I was at. C.S. Lewis once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. 
It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I don't think we serve a God who inflicts pain on us and he's up there throwing daggers at us, trying to see how we respond. We live in a pain-filled world. We live in a broken world that God is in the business of restoring. But I do believe that he uses those times to pull us into his arms as his children and to remind us that we are deeply loved by him, that he's writing the bigger story for our life, one that's far greater and more beautiful than anything that we could imagine. When we, when we find ourselves in those circumstances that we have no power to change, and I'm sure for most of you in this room it's not infertility, but maybe it's looking for a job or questions at home or college decisions, things that are going on in school, we, we beg God to change things. We beg God to answer us. We promise things to God, which half the time we don't come through on. We search for answers. We, again, shake our fists at him. We're looking for any ray of hope we possibly can get. We pray for change. That December, after Nate and I had spent all this time praying for our situation to change and praying for this Christmas miracle, only to wind up feeling disappointed and shattered, we felt as though we were swimming in our own despair. A couple of months before my last procedure, I I met a woman at a youth ministry conference. She uh, had connected me to another lady that lives out in California, a woman named April, who's become a really good friend on my journey. Um, She's had a total similar journey as me, grew up in a pastor's home. She's the same age, been married for the same amount of times. She's a youth pastor. Uh, We both like to wear our hair in pigtails. The sky is the limit on things that are the same. And she had begun a process to adopt from Ethiopia. In the beginning, when I was like feeling so raw and just angry, she said these words to me. The crazy thing about God is that he weaves hope into our losses, our deepest pains, into our less-than-desired futures, and hope transforms. Hope transforms. I thought a lot about that. At the time, I wasn't even really sure I knew where to find hope to allow it to transform my life. It certainly wasn't going to be found in my circumstances because they weren't changing anytime soon. I had spent so much of my life begging God to just change what was going on around me. I had begged him to give me a child, and he had come up dry. He had come up not answering me. That December, my father asked me a question on the phone. I was talking to him, and he said, Andrea, have you given this up to God? And I was like, seriously? Are you even asking me that? Yes, I've given it up to God over and over and over and over again, and he's not doing anything with it. And my dad then asked, would you be okay if God gave you a child that was not your own, one that didn't come from your womb? And I immediately hung up the phone on my dad. I thought I had surrendered everything, but in those moments realized I was still holding on to my dreams. I was still holding on to my desires. That December, God began to birth something new in my heart, a new kind of hope that I had never even experienced before, a hope that would turn turn pain into beauty. It was a hope that would spring life out of a crazy dark place, God began challenging my husband and I to really pray in a way that said, God, you can have my dreams and my desires. Um, To give up with abandonment, everything to God. Richard Stearns, president of World Vision and author of one of my favorite books, Hole in the Gospel, says this. When we say that we want to be Jesus' disciple, yet attach a list of conditions, Jesus refuses to accept our terms. His terms involve unconditional surrender. Do you know how difficult it is to surrender your dreams and your hopes? It's pretty difficult. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a reference used all the time at graduation, says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans, plans to pro- prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's actually the verses that follow that that I think are really powerful. They say, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you seek me with every single thing inside of your heart, dreams and desires, plans, everything. When we are sitting in the midst of brokenness and grief and pain and unwanted circumstances in our life, questioning God and challenging God, he calls us to seek him with all of our hearts. And I'm telling you that something happens to you when you do that. Something changes. Your desires and giving them and your your dreams to God, something monumental takes place in your life. It doesn't mean your circumstances change. I didn't miraculously get pregnant or even have my adoption process be easy. It doesn't even mean that your prayers are answered in the manner that you want, but it means that God begins to, like, form your heart and transform it into a place where he can heal your heart from the inside out, revealing chapters of your life story that you could have never imagined. Nate and I wrestled a lot that December with God. Uh, we began to pray differently. We began to pray, God, we, we want your will to take precedent, precedence in our life. It took us a long time to get to that place. We told him we wanted what he wanted for our life. We said we'd give him everything, dreams and desires and all together. We had no idea what doors that would open and just the unbelievable, beautiful chapters that he would birth in our hearts in our call to adoption. We spent a lot of time talking about whether or not we were going to pursue medical, uh, medical help or we were going to pursue international adoption. Uh, medical treatment was really costly. International adoption was like triple the cost. <laughs> very, very costly. And in those acts of surrendering, we also began to pray that God would just break our hearts for the things that break his. I don't know if you've ever prayed that, but that's just a super dangerous prayer. Um, God shows you things and reveals things to you that challenge you and change you. And with those things combined, after, after a uh, little while time, we were called to international adoption. So we searched countries. Um, we wound up finding ourselves face-to-face with Ethiopia. There are 4.6 million orphans in Ethiopia alone. So we knew that the, the need was great. We wanted to settle on a third-world country. One in six children die before their fifth birthday in Ethiopia. 1.5 million people are infected with AIDS, and 720,000 of the children that are orphaned are orphaned due to the factor of AIDS. The doctor-to-child ratio, which this just blows your mind, is 1 to 24,000. So we knew God was, like, tugging on our hearts, this is where I want you. Um, when we started our paperwork process, it took us about eight, eight months to complete our paperwork. We started in 2010. And then they told us it'll be about six to eight month wait period before you get matched with a child. We were asking to be matched with a sibling group of two. In the middle of our process, everything went haywire in Ethiopia. Our process has now been a 24 to 25 month wait. What started to be less than a year and looked like it was like right there has turned into this huge waiting process. We've been 23 months on the list and hoping that we're going to be matched in the next month or two. Well, I wish I could stand up here and tell you, you know what, it's really easy to follow God and to surrender your life, and the process of adoption is really easy. I'd be lying, um, because it would not be true. It's been some of the most challenging, painful, most difficult times of my life. It's been times where I've questioned, are we even on the right path? Are we doing the right thing? 
It's been times that I've asked God, like, isn't there an easier path than this one? Uh, We've tried all different options of ways that we could maybe get out of things on some of those days. But it's also been times during that journey that God has just spoke so clear to say, this is what I've created you for. This is what I've made you guys for. This is what I'm calling you to do. I have learned um, so much singing that song this morning, Strength Will Rise As We Wait Upon the Lord. We've been waiting for a long time, um, and I've learned so much in that waiting process. I've learned to choose joy when our circumstances don't change. Um, A man named Phil Anderson says, joy is a posture, a position. It's the deep assurance I have that, that the God who loves me is in control. Joy doesn't happen to me one day and avoid me the next. Joy is the result of a choice, a choice I have to make every day. I choose joy every single day that I wake up. I've learned that God's love is transformational. On some of the most darkest, doubt-filled days where I clearly am not lovable, God still continues to be a God of love, even when I'm shaking my fists at him, yelling at him, crumpled up on the floor, angry with him. He chooses to love us. Brennan Manning says, If you took all the love of the best mothers and fathers who lived in the course of human history, all of their goodness, kindness, patience, fidelity, wisdom, tenderness, strength, and love, and united all those qualities into a single person— That person's love would only be a faint shadow of the furious love and mercy in the heart of God the Father addressed to you and me at this moment. That's a huge kind of love, and the love that transforms the depths of our soul. I've learned that God shapes our hearts in the waiting. I think if I would have gotten pregnant that first year, I would have missed out on so much that God wanted to teach me and share with me. Statistics would have just been statistics of orphans. Now they have names and faces. They've become my family. I remember visiting an orphanage for the first time in Honduras, having no idea what to expect and just being overwhelmed by the need. This time, the brokenness that I was feeling wasn't about my life. It wasn't about what I was experiencing. It was about looking at what breaks the heart of God. I held a little girl in my arms um, and thought about the fact there are 140 million orphans all over the world looking for homes. And I thought about my own children somewhere across the world that are in an orphanage, maybe being held by somebody else, and saw that God has shaped me again for that moment, and this waiting has not been wasted. I also learned that God creates beauty out of our pain, and he'll use it to reach the world if we allow him to. I actually heard your chaplain, Corey, um, speak. I don't even remember where it was, but he shared this quote by Mary Beth Chapman, um, who's the wife to, to Stephen Curtis Chapman, after her son had accidentally um, hit and killed their daughter with an SUV. She said, Will, you've been entrusted with an incredible pain. I'm so sorry. I wish as your mom I could take it away, but I know that God has a plan for you to steward this story well and to minister to others through your suffering. We have all been entrusted with some kind of pain. Whatever your pain is, whether it comes from a broken relationship, whether it comes from disease or sickness, or a family issue, or infertility, or just plain waiting for God to come through on something, we've experienced it. Pain is part of the life unexpected of our journey. And somehow God uses that pain, and uses the unexpected, and uses the waiting, and he creates beauty out of what seems disastrous at the time. These days I'm overwhelmed. And I don't just say that because I'm speaking to you this morning. I am overwhelmed with gratitude at the journey that God has allowed me to be on. I couldn't have told you that three years ago. Paul says in the book of Philippians, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, 
Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him, through him who gives me strength. God has taught me that in my journey. He's entrusted me with a story. He's created to help, created uh, beauty out of pain and helped me to see that on a daily basis. He's given me strength when I have not been able to pick myself up off the ground. He's shown me the power that comes with just surrendering dreams and your hopes. And as we wait and we continue to wait, we're expectant over what God is going to do in the next chapter that he's writing currently for our life. So I don't know what chapter you find yourself in. I don't know this morning. I know some of you, not all of you. But I'm sure that for some in this room, just like myself, you're living in a life of loss or grief or maybe heartache or even just hopelessness. If that's you, then I want to remind you this morning that there is a God who just loves you with this unconditional love, who has an ultimate plan for your life. I hope you'll cling to that truth and you'll allow it to set in the most inner parts of your soul. If you're here and maybe you're a junior or senior or even a freshman and you're wondering what God is going to do with your life, I think I just talked to somebody before chapel started about that, no idea what you're going to do, my challenge is to surrender your dreams. Surrender your dreams and your desires to God. I promise you that what you gain will far outweigh anything you could ever lose. The transformation is life-changing, and God will reveal a chapter in your life story that is far better than anything you could have written yourself. And for the rest of us who maybe are waiting, uh, waiting for things to change, or we've just been given a story of some sort, May we continue to steward our stories and ask God to break our hearts with the things that break his and live a life for him, ultimately becoming God's love to the world around us that's desperate for it as we wait.
pray together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God that loves us. And we thank you for the stories that you've entrusted us with. Not just the good parts, but the parts that are filled with pain and questioning. The chapters where we look at you and we're not really sure what you're doing or what you're writing. We thank you because those are the things that that shape our lives. Those are the places in our lives where we see you in such a real way. Father, I pray for each college student and and other adults that are on campus today that you would just remind each person in this room, one, how much they're loved by you, and two, that you, you don't leave us to go through life ourselves. You pick us up, you carry us, you walk with us, no matter what it is that we're experiencing. Help us to remember daily that you are making something beautiful out of our pain. We thank you. We praise you for that. Father, I pray that you would go with these students and just allow them to change the world with their stories. Thank you for being such an awesome God. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.